Hey everyone, this is Will Hobson. Welcome to the Oregon Libertarian Podcast. I'm uh, talking to a gentleman by the name of Gary, who reached out to me on Twitter. Uh, had some uh, things he he wanted to discuss with me about. Uh, well, you know what? I won't steal your thunder. Why don't you tell me what it is, uh, who you are first, and, and what you want to talk sure. about today? Uh, so just to keep it very brief, I make my online persona about the idea of coffee houses uh, that were or they also were called penny universities during the 1600s. The, the idea being that uh, everyone's an expert in something and, you know, knowledge is at our fingertips. And, and I try to make sure to give people space enough so that they can present themselves and people can learn truly what the ideologies are. Uh, and uh, mostly I'm pulling up the tweet right now here it is so you were talking about a podcast uh, on your, your latest episode not this one but one before uh about like your presidential messaging what 2024 should look like uh not just at the national level but uh, at a state level and if i was to try and boil it down there was like my biggest issue there's a lot of very typical uh i guess like the same talking points I've heard from the Libertarian Party for like the last decade. And I think it's something that a lot of people are turned off by just because no one really knows, not only do they not know the undertones, but no one really takes the time to talk about those undertones. And I, I guess without that underlying Without understanding the symbols, you don't understand the principles built off of those symbols. What, what specific uh, undertones are you referring to? Like, for example, you mentioned the Tree of Liberty, right? And that's a reference to the idea that sometimes uh, the Tree of Liberty runs dry and needs to be uh, shed by the blood of tyrants, right? That is very much colonial messaging, and it's something that I've heard on and off my whole life. And it's a lot of it's a lot of gusto, it's a lot of momentum for something that people don't know enough i don't think generally about libertarians to understand uh and i think especially in the wake of like betsy johnson's campaign uh and just how close she narrowed the vote between republicans and, and democrats i think it's important to make sure to have your thumb exactly on the cultural differences that made that happen if that makes sense yeah, you know, the the Tree of Liberty isn't really a, a metaphor I, I use often. If I did use it in the okay. pod, uh, podcast, I don't know if that was me or that might have been Peter. Um, this is Will, by the way. Okay. But, uh, it's not something I use often because I like the, the concept that there can be a peaceful resolution to our disagreement. Yes. Uh, but, however, I do realize that Probably more often, unfortunately, than not, uh, there usually is some kind of violent conflict when a massive paradigm shift takes place. Um, and also, the the analogy isn't quite complete. It's not just the blood of tyrants; it's the blood of patriots too. So there, oh yeah, the, oh yeah. The the idea is that good and bad people will die, and that's the concept of war: is that you know, good and bad, mm -hmm. both good and bad people die. And um, but, uh. I guess what I would say, if I'm if I'm kind of groping for like one of the main threads that you're wanting to discuss, is that 
I do believe that cultural differences are really honestly the thing that we're we're fighting against right now. We are we are tribal. We have certain aspects of our culture that we glob onto that are important mm-hmm. to us. Um, and I, I do think that there's honestly a lot more that unites us than divides us. However, the stuff that divides us is hyped up to 11, you know, and gets used and very deftly to keep us divided. Um, I'm totally on board with that. I do think that, um, the, whether it's a Republican in charge or a Democrat in charge, at least with the current paradigm of people in charge of those organizations, I don't think there's going to be, there's a significant change or difference when it's, you know, Democrat or Republican. I think a little differently. And I, I, and I say that in a more hopeful sense, I think libertarians are in a very special predicament where they can, at least right now, the hope is eventually that, of course, one of you guys takes Congress, a Congress seat. I think that'll be a major threat to what that like, that'll be the alarm bell singing that there is a one, a peaceful resolution and two, that the people are just no longer paying attention to the messaging. I think a lot of the polarization happens because of mostly fear mongering. I think people, there's a lot of things that people find worth protecting on the more conservative end. That's more uh, religion. That's more tradition, things that have survived the test of time. And on the other end, it's a very new idea uh, regarding human rights. And either way, I think there's a little bit of truth to it that the Republicans threaten this new idea of human rights and uh, the Democrats threaten the ideas of tradition. Any thoughts on that? Um, Yeah, I mean, if we're trying to explain, like, I don't believe Republicans and Democrats fall neatly into left-right paradigms. Uh, I actually think quite, I think they're... (laughs) I think it's much more complicated than that, but if we're going to give, if we're, if we're first going to establish, are we talking about the left-right cultural difference, or are we talking about Republicans versus Democrats, because those are very different? Um, they are very different, you're right. And I would, I guess I'd make them more the argument, uh, I'm assuming I'm talking to someone who's more, I mean, just based off of, I've listened to like a few episodes of your podcast, I'm not like a very constant thumb on mm-hmm. uh listener so forgive me if i get something wrong but i i figured i've always figured i'm talking to more of people who are involved politically more culturally i think libertarianism at least how i understand it is inherently political and not cultural and i think that's almost part of the problem uh i agree i think because i, I mean one of the things i was talking about as i was making i was because I was reaching out to different people among my circle and just making sure i got an understanding of their politics because we talk a lot about it and they're they're like one of them was griping a lot because they don't know where a lot of libertarian politicians stand in regards to protecting culture, both left or right. I think a lot of a lot of people are too afraid to vote for someone who they don't know is going to keep them safe as well as their adversaries. I think uh, one of the biggest things that this person specifically was talking about was the use of force. Uh, at least a use of physical force through the government. Uh, they have no issues with, let's say, 
uh, trans culture, but the fact that there is a legal protections, I think it was in Washington, to have kids be kidnapped. Not even kidnapped, because I think in some vague sense the kids, air quote, consent. Uh, but the, to go move to Washington to have those changes and then be sent back, they have it, like, they, I think, rightfully take issue with that because that's a leverage of force. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, like, it, it's, it's very hard. You get some people, like, on one end, I talk a lot of praise about on Twitter and TikTok. There's this guy called Praxben, uh, very socially conservative, but politically libertarian. He's, he's an anarcho capitalist. He's, he believes kind of like a, a more extreme version of Raidu, which is that uh, inherently it doesn't matter uh, like politics-wise because anything that doesn't fit within, uh, very vaguely speaking, the kingdom of God, because uh, the, the Christian belief is that Jesus Christ is the king of the world, yada, yada, anything that doesn't naturally abide by those laws are going to fall by the wayside and eventually crumble. Uh, and so I just, I mostly think that libertarians need to if their messaging is going to be of anything i think it's going to be something along the lines of hope and bearing the hatchet if that makes sense let let's these big cities that have become kind of a problem figure everything out for themselves we just aren't going to let the two cultures gnash at each other yeah um i you know i and of course my thoughts have evolved over the years and as I've, I've observed things and I've been a part mm -hmm. of the, you know, our own personal culture and, uh, trying to make sense of it. And, uh, I, I, you know, I haven't been a, someone who describes himself as a, you know, a big L libertarian for more than if, you know, I think it was 2019 when I finally decided like, okay, I'm going to join this. This is enough people agree with me in this group and they hold some of the things that I really hold dear dear as well and I will help them now and I will call myself one even though I didn't want to uh in some <laughs> a lot of ways I still decided to and the uh I think the thing is, is that we are a very small political minority right now still mm -hmm. um if we have a couple different ways about going about the cultural question. Do we influence the culture and try to nudge it in our direction? Uh, do we, you know, create our own subculture uh, or do we kind of do a combination of both? Um, and I think right now people have kind of settled on like, oh, let's do both. Let's inject ourselves out into the main culture and let's also create our own subculture. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty good idea. And I think that does, you know, I think one of the main problems with libertarianism is because it's so like broad. It's saying like, do, you know, like a lot of the messaging behind it is you do you, you do your own thing. But then when people ask like, well, what's a libertarian society like? They don't have an answer because who knows, you know, it's just everyone doing their own thing. And I don't think that really gives people a, a vision that they can really wrap their heads around or that's very uh, appealing or motivating. Uh, I actually, I actually so, think I had a. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh no, it's okay. Go ahead. Uh, I actually think I have a tweet that kind of like goes over this. I, I talked about it because of the outrage over the libertarian uh, branch in New Hampshire, and uh, here it is. 
I said, right now, libertarians have taken a Polaroid picture of the ideal America. The picture they took, it's a damn good picture of the conversations I've had or anything to bounce off of. However, that picture is yet to be fully developed. The details are not ironed out, not among the majority of the crowd. Is that something you think resonates and is yeah, true? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's very true. Um, I, you know, there's a big difference of opinion in the libertarian party and in the libertarian culture of like, what's the way we should, we should go. And I think there might be uh, several different factions that would create different cultures in the libertarian party. I mean, we have, we definitely have the minarchists and the anarchists that would create very different, very different cultures and desire different things. And I think the, the thing to attempt to do would be like, okay, if we had a culture, we wouldn't be just like, a, this wouldn't be a one party, like, you know, uh, world that we'd be living in, we would have opposition, we'd have enemies and be like, who would our ideal enemies be? Who would our allies be? How would this operate? Because we, there's no way we're just going to be by ourselves. That's mm -hmm. a utopia. So like, what is a better world that we would strive for? And, you know, one of the things I've told a lot of people, one of the ideas I've had, because I do feel, you know, like in another, in, in multiple different alternate versions uh, of reality, I'm probably a very committed Green Party person or something, you know, I'm really attracted to the Green Party for being anti-war. And I just missed a couple of economic textbooks on the way. I never discovered a few like key thought leaders or something. I'm, I'd probably be very moved by that direction. I'd probably always be anti-establishment um, and, and, and against like large power, centralized power structures. So I really think one of the things that uh, I would like to do is to be like, hey, we should do work with other third parties, other, you know, like the Green Party and go door to door and just get people off the, you know, Republican, you know, uh, Democratic trains. Like, hey, would you rather and, and, and set them up with the question, of, would you rather the political paradigm in the United States be a libertarian versus a green or Republican versus a Democrat? I think a lot of people have to think about that. Be like, huh, which one would I probably prefer? And I think a lot of people, if they thought about it for more than two minutes, they'd be like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, I'd, yeah, probably libertarian versus a green party person. Because at that point, you know, wars are off the table, mm -hmm. uh, or at least expansionist wars, you know, uh, imperialism, you know, uh, we, we would value, hopefully, I assume a lot of people in the Green Party still value human rights, you know, and, and, and liberties and free speech. You know, I do see a lot of a tendency for Green, for people in the Green Party to tr at least try to think in the long term, to have, you know, like delayed gratification, try to think about like, hey, yeah. what am I going to do for my, my, my grandchildren, my great grandchildren, think about the kind of world that are leaving behind, even if they're not doing it the best way, or they, they still have that impulse to try to do the right thing. Yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be inclined to agree. It's if you're going to aim at something, you're going to be bad at doing the good thing, right? No one becomes a, uh, a masterful, no one becomes a masterful artist overnight. And so you you're going to have to accept the fact that the first picture you paint is going to be uh not the greatest 
Am I coming Absolutely. through clearly? Yeah. You know, there were uh, a lot of uh, world, I think it's like the world expo, like where they, uh, there were a lot of versions of it in the early 20th century where they imagined, uh, you know, different versions of the future. And there were several iterations that were quite funny, like uh, of like uh, years that we've already passed long in the past where we all had like, you know, flying helicopters and we were all flying around helicopters to get to where we want to. We didn't have cars, you know, and, and, and you know, we had all these other different things. And, and now this version of history is quite different. I mean, Back to the Future is another great one, too. We, we're, we're past, I, I believe we're now well past uh, the year that Back to the Future was referencing, right? Wasn't it 2015? Uh, actually, if I remember correctly, I think it was referencing 2017. Ah. 2017. Okay. Yeah, so uh, we, we're well past that, and our future looks, yeah, you know, pretty significantly different, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, so, yes, I totally agree that we should at least make an attempt to rough draft something and get an idea, because the end result, culture is not, culture can't just be created. It has to kind of spring forth organically, and you you definitely can make attempts to predict what a libertarian culture would be like but i think at the end of the day you'd have to you know it's one of the things the reasons why we don't believe in central planning is like we we can't predict what's going to be the most what what society's going to want to do with their money or their time or their resources we we leave that to the individuals and they'll create it but i definitely think there's a lot of value to making an attempt i i saw this uh, i think it was my pastor I was talking to him kind of about politics a few months ago and he had this idea about what democracy was. Now I want to, I want to see how you react to it. Uh, democracy was never intended to be a permanent solution. It was the progressive point between the end goal for Christians and what they came from, which was a monarchy, uh, absolute totalitarian control, TLDR. Um, it wasn't that, and so from that, the idea being that in the democratic system, I, members that are good at creating culture, that being like churches, mosques, uh, people who are good at making symbols and telling stories, they would create out of their own influence uh, societal norms, cultures, and those would spread out kind of in natural selection i.e. God, would pick the ones that survive. And so that's why I think they, they swapped to more of, they wanted more of a federalist system at first, is they had this idea that every colony would develop its own culture. And I, th I don't think quite clearly they did. And I think that maybe that's why we got more of a centralized system that we have now. Uh, but the, 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 the end goal is that for at least for the on the Christian sense, which is where I'm more coming from, is that everyone will one day subscribe to that which is good, uh, even if it is poorly. It is. I think the Libertarian Party, even if they remove the Christianity from it, I think there's a lot of uh, the a lot of that can still be stood on instead of maybe focusing on a more religious interpretation focus on that which is good and stand on those principles especially on the those things that are good that everyone recognizes like you said human rights 
go back to the origin of human rights, defend human rights. I think if we, I, I almost think if you got the, the world's smartest libertarians, uh, so to speak, and got them at the head of the most prominent, not the most smart, but the most prominent Republican candidates or the most prominent conservatives, I think those people would fold in an instant because if you focus on that, which is good, you're going to outperform them every single time. Uh, is that something you feel like is, is true? That if uh, we brought our ideas to uh, the top uh, conservatives and progressives, that they would they would have to acquiesce to the merit of our of our arguments. Or is that what you're saying? I guess maybe not even the merit of our of your arguments, but more saying that I think. Oh God, I. I I'm trying to. I'm really trying to think of the, of the exact process in mind. I think if you, there's this YouTuber uh, called Inspiring Floss, big fan of him. He did this video about Christian nationalism, uh, mm. and more or less arguing uh, that Christianity is inherently anti-Christian nationalism. Which sounds weird at first, but the argument being that you're supposed to subscribe to God, not members of of worldly authority right you only do that off of principles i think the libertarian party is in a perfect position where these people who are subscribed to these political parties or these political ideologies these different cultures are so prideful of these cultures that they aren't checking themselves they have logs in their eyes so to speak and i think if you get a, a good libertarian that stands on some sort of principles and they find that a, a very prominent conservative that does that, I think you could have an argument between those two individuals. And that would be the core message of the libertarian party is that there are principles. People have become too blind to their pride and they are doing things that are not good or, or even worse are bad. Sure. Yeah. I, I think the problem is that when we get to recruitment, um, which is ultimately, I think what you're suggesting is uh, people value their social network, uh, some people above all else, mm -hmm. and, and part of their tribe and loyalty to their tribe. Um, and I, one of the reasons why I left my political thought tribe and I wandered off is because I valued my principles more than I valued the social network. And it, and I think that comes from a lot of different life experiences. Like if you, you know, what served you in life? Like if your social network gave you everything that you have, you know, and it elevated you and never did anything wrong against you and only lifted you up and gave you so much, would you ever really turn on them? You're, it's almost like your principle would be to protect them because they did everything for you. Um, and, and I think a lot of libertarians are of the mind of like, oh, the system didn't do much for me or it never helped me or it's actively trying to hurt others. And uh, I, I feel no loyalty or kinship to it. So I'm going to go off and I'm going to rail against it. You know, uh, one of the things I, you know, I get in discussions with my wife sometimes is the system was very good for her. It, it, it immediately fast tracked her into, you know, advanced placement in school, gave her lots of opportunities, gave her lots of money to go to different 
colleges for free. Um, you know, her, you know, she, she rose up through the ranks. She, she got to, you know, travel and do a lot of things I, I never got to do. Uh, you know, um, I grew up in really shitty public Oregon schools and they were nothing but just, you know, the most lazy of, you know, when they weren't being lazy, I... <laughs> the authoritarian, and I and they, they I saw that they really did want to help kids. They were really just there to like a lot of them to cash a paycheck. And the moment that they realized that they could be given the out for like helping other kids, that, that they 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 took it and they moved on. They uh, and, and I got into so many fights in school uh, when even when I went to teachers to help, you know, they. they 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 didn't do anything and then i'd get in a fight and then i'd get punished and it was just uh there i watched so many different examples of not just schools but like other instances in life you know other large you know institutions not do shit for people and i, I you know it didn't the, the system didn't serve me so i rail against it the system served my wife so she promotes it and she she thinks it's good and that i think that's the way of things I think I want to, uh, and maybe this is a mistake. I want to maybe take a second and personify the system. Okay, let's imagine the 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 system is a person, for like just a hot minute. If a person is imperfect, right? If a person is, is has flaws, they are going to eventually do something destructive to their own ends. If that makes sense, they're going to do something that will threaten the very people they're trying to help. Uh, a, a good example of this is there's some people who are very, if there is a selfish, there is a polar opposite of it. And it, it happens to their detriment. They're very giving. They're very, they'll, they'll, they'd give you the shirt off their back. You can't always do that with someone because some people are uh, almost like little black holes, right? You give them stuff and it they they don't use it, they don't maintain it, they don't take care of it, and so uh, it, it it's more destructive than it helps. And so it, I think that's kind of the origin of the the phrase. You teach a man to fish and you feed him to life. If you give a man a fish, you only feed him for a day. Uh, and I think ultimately, hey uh, Gary, you muted yourself. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I actually hit my mouse. Uh, if you can be the person, or the libertarian can be the voice that is sort of the conscious, because the end goal I think for libertarians is liberty, no matter how. It, it comes about whether it comes about culturally or uh, politically. If if you could be the voice that it, uh, uh, that is just there, the conscious, the voice in the head of this person, the system that is like, hey, you're being destructive to your own ends. I think that is ultimately the stance needs to be kind of needs to be taken. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, it, it does. Um, I would really, and you know, I'm definitely not the you know, the world's answer to like figuring out that question. Mm -hmm. 
I, I make some stabs or attempts at it from time to time. Um, I, I try to think in ways of like, what's, what are some of the easiest avenues to get people to listen or to convince people of an idea or to like, kind of like drill into them, like a really important point that will stick and tend to like almost not like fester in a bad way, but like just kind of continue to creep in and, and until they really have to address it or grapple with it. Um, although I may be giving some people too much credit and their how deeply they internalize, you know, uh, cognitive dissonance, but, you know, um, I try to think of like, when I'm talking to different groups, I try to think of like, what is something I wish you guys knew that I think you would really resonate with you. So when I talk, when I try to talk to people like about Medicare for all, I try mm-hmm. to them like, Hey, uh, and I think this is the concept of red pilling and why it's really, it's really important. It's like when you, it's when you learn something that's so shocking, that's like, Oh, this can't be true, but it is. And then you really have to grapple with that. Well, if this is true, then and then it, it begets more, you know, um, more continued, uh, continued journey for like, for learning the truth. Like the, the, again, the thing with Medicare mm-hmm. all that, uh, I like to tell people about is like, Hey, do you know about certificate of need laws? And they're like, well, what's that? And we're like, well, it's when the government basically says you can only have so many hospitals in an area. And if we think there are too many hospitals in here, we'll, we'll deny your permit or too many clinics. We'll say no. And then they're like, wait, the government's telling businesses or other other entities they can't build hospitals because it thinks there might be too many of them around i cannot tell you how happy i am you brought up certificate of need laws and you explained it because i i know my parents who are some of the people i talk to they're probably gonna i'm probably gonna send the link to this episode they're probably gonna watch this and that's gonna be because i had to explain it to my mom and uh my dad more took the approach of i'm gonna look into it uh, I'm going to try and figure out what it is and I'll get back to you from there. And it's, it's almost like, like, here, give me your phone. I'll type it in and you can read like the two, it can you read two paragraphs, read two paragraphs of <laughs> the thing that comes up. And, and yeah, it's, it's just these little, and not, not just it, it's these little things. And though that issue, especially that issue, I think cascades into a f- furthermore into the issues we have. I don't know if it necessarily applies to, uh, let's say, mental health facilities. I imagine it would, though. Uh, that has to play some aspect in the into the homeless crisis. If people are mentally ill and they can't get the services they need to to one eighty their life and get a, a literal pathological help, uh, they're go- they're going to wander in the desert, and that desert just sometimes happens to be someone's backyard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I do think that we need to frame ourselves differently. I think we've, for a long time as libertarians, been painted with a very like, uh, oh, you're just these weird like economics nerds that don't care about other people. Like, really, you just care about yourself and capitalism and just getting rich and blah blah blah. You're a bunch of Ayn Rand. Like, uh, the the perception of what we are uh, colors people's or definitely affects people's ability to listen to our ideas. That's the the concept of ethos. Are you familiar with uh, Aristotle's ethos, pathos, logos? 
very briefly, my college class, uh, my public speaking class, went over them. If I remember correctly, logos is where we get logic. Uh, ethos is like emotion, if I remember correctly. Pathos and then, emotion. Pathos emotion. So then it's ethos is the only one I forgot. That's who you are as a person, like your standing okay. in society and what you've experienced and your your social standing. Uh, you know, uh, uh, as far as like who is willing to listen to your argument, it's almost like an appeal to authority. Yeah, appeal. Uh, okay, or 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 experience, but um, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, certain people are appealed to more or less by different arguments. Like I tell people a lot, I'm I definitely listen to logical and emotional arguments a lot, and I almost completely disregard yeah ethos arguments. But that's because I'm different. Other people are really moved by ethos arguments. Who who's talking? I mean, when they you know the you know Democrats definitely feel that way because you know they like to elevate minority classes who they feel have been victimized, and and they want to listen to them more and build them up and say like, hey, this person who's suffered oppression is talking. You need to listen. That's an ethos argument, you mm -hmm. know. And if our the people we're trying to can if you want to use the word convert, but if you were trying to change their minds, if they are very heavily influenced by ethos, then we need to create better ethos arguments, which means that we need to be speaking either through certain people or we need to gain experiences and trust uh, where we that we can leverage to talk to those people, to explain to them, you know, it's a really yeah. important idea. Uh, and I think that's something that that I, I like to think like the new Mises Caucus is open to thinking about talking about more often. Uh, I, I definitely feel like uh, there are now some people in the Libertarian Party I can talk to about this and, and kind of promote that. But um, yeah, yeah, I think there are, I think we're evolving. I think we're still a very young movement, uh, you know, even though the Libertarian Party has been around for 50 years, the party and the power center that's in charge now is still very young well uh and i i really hope that we can uh try out some new things in the new presidential election cycle that we haven't before so well here's a bit of factoid i can walk away with you say 50 years okay hmm. let me find the date i've got where here it is the two treatises of government was published in 1689 the american revolution which it mostly inspired happened in 1776 almost almost a hundred years later sure you know what i mean so i think your argument that argument stands up to you know scrutiny because if you if you plant the put the seeds of political ideology early on it takes that tree years to grow and i think it's just going to be important to for especially for messaging to understand that there is a there's a good chance right now that people who are socially inclined one way or the other have an opportunity to to trim the hedges and, and work out the finer details and see what survives right that this is this is the time now to get your 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 feet in the matter this is the the writing the declaration of independence this is the formation of what the party is going to become by the time what i'm going to be in my my 40s 30s late <laughs> At the absolute <laughs> latest, late fifties. Wow. I would love. 
Yeah, I, 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 the one thing I will caution too is that one of the another famous, if we want to get even more Greek on this episode, one of the one of the other you know famous proverbs is that you know you plant trees for your grandchildren, and mm-hmm. even though you may never get to uh, sleep under the shade of them, and I really think that if more humans across the board, across political political ideologies, thought that way. We would we would have a better world, a better society. We everything would just be better off when you think long term, uh, instead of you know what's in it for me in the short term. What uh, delayed gratification is almost always a sign of success in other humans. So um, yeah, I, I really I've, I've told people now like I'm in this project for the long haul. I plan to be old and gray before we have political power at least i'm i'm at peace with it taking that long so oh i'm the same way i'm gonna try my best and like because i'm i'm i consider myself more like a conservative leaning libertarian and a lot of that is just because i would rather work with the party i've already been registered and give my vote in and be like hey look this is the candidate that is closer to the truth than the one that is popular uh i think that is and arguing that and having those arguments with people in my circles today, I think is going to do, it is planting that seed. You know what I mean? You, yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. It's about it in group and out group libertarians for lack of a better term are the out group, even in my circles. Yeah. If no. I, if I, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I really think it's important to like the, uh, you know, put yourself into different groups, even if you're not, they're not libertarians, because you have powerful ideas, you have powerful arguments. Uh, eventually, if you gain trust with, within that group, and then you start talking about their ideas, that's when people start to listen, because now they're not listening to an enemy. That's which is part of the ethos. You don't listen to someone who you know wants to harm you if they're part of the, yeah. bad, the bad guys. You don't listen to the bad guy. The bad guy is trying to trick you. Yeah. But if you're part of a group and you've earned trust and and do it legitimately, don't be <laughs> of course don't be quite that machiavellian but like you know do something that you know it's worth doing and then you, when you're working around those non-libertarians you can be like hey uh here's some of my other ideas friend and yeah they'll start to listen and i i i've seen that work so many times uh it yeah yeah trust is the currency that we we deal in in politics and, and in culture and i think we've to realize that you've got to establish the trust before you can uh change people's hearts and minds so and kind of on that i have this weird little theory and i it's it's a little crazy to think about because i was i was pondering the idea of the pendulum swinging uh and i think that's a really good analogy because it swings left and right it is easier to shift a culture left or right than it is to shift it up and down and that's ultimately I think what I, I think it's going to be important for libertarians to be the weight that brings that pendulum down. I think there's a, a good chance for left-wing libertarians who may be in like Green Party libertarians or whatever to be when the left is in culture because they're part of the in-group because they're they're people in the cities that will listen to them and their points to argue for more libertarian stance bring the pendulum down and then when it swings back to the right side that's when some people people more like prax ben people 
more like uh, me or my brother or uh, just by having this conversation, I think you probably would fit in this as well, maybe more, because I'm more center right than anything. Anyways, I'm going on a tangent. Uh, then we bring that down, and we almost have to trade responsibility. And I think if that happens, if we can consistently do that, we might not even hope. The hope is that it gets to a point where everyone just buries the hatchet. And that's ultimately what I want, because I, I think there's no reason the nation has to die. And I mean that honestly when I tell that to my more cons even my most conservative friends. Uh, there's no reason for the country to have to fade off. There's no reason that it has to, to go by the wayside. We are still to this day one of the best, one of the richest countries, one of the most successful countries. And if I genuinely thought something was going to be a threat to that, I wouldn't be a part of it. And I feel like a lot of people do genuinely believe me when I say that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely going to get more interesting before it gets less interesting, I fear though. So <laughs> Yeah. Good to well, it's good to be prepared for whatever may come. But uh I definitely would like to see the temperature brought down and I, I really like candidates that aren't in the Libertarian Party right now. And hopefully we'll get a candidate that does that in our party. But like uh Cornell West and and Rock, you know, uh, Robert Kennedy uh, Jr. Uh, RFK uh, saying, you know, like, hey, we we're Americans and we don't need to be fighting each other like this. Like, I do like their their the general vibe that they're giving off, and I would really like it if the Libertarian candidate gave off a similar, you know, like let's lower the temperature, let's everyone put down your your swords and like let's. Let's come to the table. Let's talk about what we agree on because the alternative, if we don't, can't agree on something is real, real, real bad. So, um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, anything you want to say or wrap up with, Gary? Uh, I do. I do got one question. This was this is from my father. Sure. Because uh, he, cause after I asked, after I was talking to him, getting kind of some of his points and, you know, collecting this, um, he was. He had just one question, which was, "What is your party going to do? Uh, what would the Libertarian Party think do, in your opinion, to benefit the country as averted to the party? Right? Is there any position do you think benefits the country as a whole instead of just the Libertarian Party? Yeah, being anti-war. Anti-war. Yeah, absolutely. Like the there's so many different ways that that's beneficial for our country. Um, it, you know, we are, we have like a 32, 33 trillion uh, dollar national debt. Uh, we continue to spend uh, now in excess of a trillion dollars on just our on, but our just on our on the books military budget, not to mention what's on the off books. Uh, we are draining our treasury dry, uh, maintaining a empire that um, largely is continuing to polarize the world against us um, in which we negate, you know, spending money on our own. If we're going to have a government that takes our money against our will and spends it on things, I'd much rather it's be used to like build us up, you know, as a country, but we're mm -hmm. squandering it. The military industrial complex squanders money. We pay ridiculous amounts of money for things that, we don't need and the Pentagon can't survive an audit. It drains our treasure. 
And anytime you use money inefficiently, you're wasting the hours in life and, pro and productivity of millions of people. You're just like casting it into the wind, you know, when we could be building ourselves up, you know, like, I don't think necessarily the government's a great, great at providing healthcare. I think they're really bad at it. They shouldn't do it, do that. But if I, you know, had a gun held to my head and I had a choice being like, would you rather a trillion dollars be spent on the military or this trillion dollars be spent on like upgrading hospitals or, you know, getting access to like, you know, really good medical access to like veterans who have been wounded in our wars. I'd be like, of course I want that mm -hmm. uh, over, over the other thing, which actually harms other people that I've never seen before. And eventually, you know, the world's going to organize against us. And then we're going to be, you know, if we lose the dollars reserve currency status, we're going to be in a really bad position because then everyone's going to hate us. <laughs> yeah. And, and then we're going to be weakened and we're not going to have a lot of, you know, extra wealth around to support us. So yeah, I think being anti, you know, being anti-war uh, benefits the country immensely getting us off the war footing. All empires collapse because they overextend themselves or not all, but the vast majority of empires collapse because they extend themselves over militarily. Mm -hmm. It just, it just, that's not even up for debate, you know, in the historical record. It just, you look yeah. at the historical record, that's what happens almost every single time. That was uh, something even uh, Sun Tzu points out in the Art of War. Yeah, thousands of years. Yeah. What was it thousands of years ago for Sun Tzu? Thousands? Yeah, it should, yeah. It, it, it should be, a, yeah. For thousands of years, though, I'm pretty sure people have realized that. Uh, you know, the problem is, is that, you know, humans are, have to be born and have to relearn everything, you know, that people mm -hmm. have already known for hundreds of years. And there's a constant need for education in the human, in the human condition, which is important. And one of those things that we all need to learn every single time in every single generation is that you, you, you can't rule the world. <laughs> so, Oh God. Yeah. That yeah, thank you for having me on. If you ever want me on again, I'm more than welcome to have on. You just you shoot me something and I'll make it work. Okay, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Gary. I appreciate it. Uh and yeah, I appreciate you reaching out and wanting to discuss things. Um we'll definitely do that. Awesome. You have a good one, you hear? All right, you take it easy. Cheers, Gary. Cheers.